Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Colin Alistair, welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast. Before we talk about sort of some of the great clients and, and things that you work with, I'd, I'd love to hear about, well, f- firstly, Alistair, some some insights into cycling and racing, but uh, also starting a business with your with your son, because uh, that, that you know <laughs> mix, mixing family and and business pleasure and family can be fraught with danger. But I know that that you guys <laughs> have come into a, a great routine, and the accounting firm is going from strength to strength. So. Perhaps let's start at the start. <laughs> yeah, got to start at the start. So yeah, the bike racing is just a bit of a hobby. Um, and at 53 last year, I decided I'd had enough of that, Stuart. So hung up my wheels and now I now I play a bit of golf and, and I'm a leisure cyclist. I can actually enjoy the scenery when I'm out, which for 16 years it was training, it was work. It was just a different form of work. I guess in terms of the Ashton McGill story, I have an accounting background, trained with EY or Arthur Young as they were back in the late 80s. Left in 92, 93, out into the world of business, run a bunch of businesses in the 2000s, 90s and 2000s, and exited the last one of those in 2013. It was a contractor accounting business. It was the first foray back into accounting since EY. And I had a bit of a restrictive covenant, wasn't allowed back into the industry. So I spent a few years having fun. I was head of entrepreneurship at the local university. That was kind of two days a week. Sat on the board of a few businesses, did some non-exec stuff, and then started to do a bit of consulting. I've also got a background in design and what's called service design, which in the business world manifests itself as customer experience. So I'd studied that in the 2000s. And so I was doing consulting work. One of the clients that we were doing consulting work around customer experience was Zero. And they brought us in. There was a guy by the name of Mike Day in the UK back then, 2006. And Mike was the head of training, something like that, for accounting partners. And they brought us in to run a customer experience program for accounting partners because I think Zero had realized that, you know, their marketing is pretty slick. They sell a really sexy image of accounting. And then the reality for a lot of business owners like Colin in the UK was that that's not what you got when you rocked up at an accountant. And so they'd asked us to come in and deliver a customer experience program for their accounting partners. It was about four and a half thousand of them at the time. And it was the most frustrating thing I've ever done. The most frustrating thing I've ever done because accountants don't think about their clients as customers, right? And so we're trained to be technicians. We're taught to be technicians. And so we deliver services to people rather than for them. And a classic example of that is deadlines. And so in the UK here, we've just, we're two weeks out from the 31st of January, which, you know, if you look at some of the accountants that you might follow on LinkedIn, they're all talking about what a terrible January they're going to have because it's self-assessment season. Well, it's not. It just so happens that the deadline, the last day you can file your return is the 31st of January. But as accountants, we, we work to deadlines. But, you know, from Colin's point of view as a business owner, he doesn't want an email from you on the 30th of January saying you've got eight grand to pay tomorrow. <laughs> he'd much rather have that in August. I mean, he'd much rather not have it at yeah. all. But if he's got tax to pay, <laughs> you can avoid that. <laughs> if he's got tax to pay, he'd much rather know several months in advance so he can plan for it. And that's what I mean by de- de- delivering things to people rather than for them. And so my son's a designer. He's a graphic designer, marketer, studied advertising and PR. So he's not an accountant. And, and it was him who really convinced me on the back of that zero experience 
he said, look, you're an accountant. I think we can deliver, we can set up and deliver a better experience than folks are having with traditional accountants. What do you think? And it took me a little while to agree with him, but I, but I did. And in the middle of 2017, start of 2017, we decided to research this. We, we took that design expertise, which is really about going out and having conversations with people and listening to them and finding out what their pain points are and then designing a solution that fits. And that's what we did in 2017. So we launched September 2017 and nearly five and a half months later, we've got 15 of a team. We've got 170 clients or so across the UK, one of whom is Colin, who's become a, a good friend, Colin at MyConnects in Perth. So, you know, it's just a different proposition. And we happen to be father and son, but, you know, that doesn't really come into it in the business we managed to we managed to keep that quite separate and and again we have another common uh thing with colin in that we both have the same board advisor and actually i met him through colin colin introduced me to him but but actually we were at school together this guy by the name of les bain and he works with colin and colin's board and he works with us on our board and since les is and he's ex accenture he's got a really interesting business background and since he's come into a, to work with us at Ashton McGill it's been great because he now he coaches my son as well and I get to step one I, you know I can be one step removed from that so so that's that's a really potted history of the journey but um, yeah trying to do things just a little bit differently for the benefit of the folks that we're here to serve. When did uh, you and Colin to become uh, accountant and client, and then we'll uh, I'll ask Colin about uh, his his journey with MyConnex and and uh, uh, his businesses. <laughs> so I think I think back to 2018, we were first introduced. I mean, we kind of knew each other. We grew up in the same city. I've been aware of what Colin was doing in his business. Families have known one another, you know, for decades, but we'd never really sat down and talked about business. And and our mutual acquaintance introduced us. Yeah, that was middle of 2018, I think, Colin, and and we started to work together, and and you know here we are, here we are, four and a bit years later. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a good connection to make things happen in your life, don't they? You know, and you know you come back into contact with someone you've either you know known from school or worked with, or you know somewhere down the line you've you come back and the planets align a little bit. How did your career start, Colin? So my career is a little bit more meandering. Cul-de-sacs that you went into there, Alistair as well. I've always worked in marketing, really, you know, working, working my way. Didn't really have a great vision for what I wanted to do when I left school. Didn't go to university. Started working, trying to find my way. And that took me to various different marketing roles within Blue Chips, really. Pretty unfulfilling, you know. I just, like, uh, enjoyed the, the role of marketing, but not being able to get a measure impact, I guess immediately and understand what difference you're making was a little bit frustrating for me. I'm quite an impatient character and I like to, to know what I'm doing is having an, an impact of some sort. So yeah, I, I obviously then retrained as a chef and bought a restaurant, you know, so that's the obvious yeah, thing. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> I thought if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, let's do something I enjoy was the kind of idea. It was, you know, you know, a crazy sort of four-year period of my life that um, I don't regret, but I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> Where was the restaurant? To, to, let's sidetrack into there for a bit. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. You know, so I retrained in in St Andrews and worked in some good kitchens there and went to college. And what I found, I went to college and worked with a bunch of kids that, you know, probably didn't know what they wanted to do. At that point, I kind of thought I did know what I wanted to do, so I could help them. But they'd been working in kitchens for the last five years, 
so they could help me with practical stuff and I could help them academic and side of the course. So that was really great. And then I was working at the same time in kitchens, learning, you know, what I didn't know, which was everything about professional cookery. And then asking all the questions back at college the next day to try and catch up as quickly as possible. So then I bought a restaurant up in a place called Cromarty in the Highlands of Scotland. Um, beautiful little fishing village, if you're ever in that part of the world, wherever you're listening. And then I'd do my Cromarty marketing piece and go visit the restaurant still there, a place called Suter Creek. And actually, you know, that's when I learned most about business probably is, you know, setting up that small business. As we all know, you have to be a master of everything all of a sudden. It's not just uh, cooking the meals and keeping people happy. It's everything else that goes on with the business. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was, um, you know, chef owner is one of the most tiring jobs I think you can probably have. If it's a small restaurant, you're there all the time. But loved working with the kids that were coming through in that, that village, giving them first job, you know, hopefully a good experience, getting to know them, getting to know the place. And really successful. And one of the things that I um, was beginning to understand is the real challenge to market your business. When you've got a product, you've got a local business, how do you get the message out to your target audience? So that then linked me back to some of the skills that I picked up in my marketing career. So that um, when we sold the, res- the restaurant, went traveling for a bit, came back and set up my connects. Was running the restaurant and owning the restaurant inspiration for, you know, what came next? Yeah, definitely. So the bit that I was always musing over, I guess, when I was doing doing my traveling, even before that, when we were selling the restaurant, was businesses want to tell local people what they're doing, and local people want to find out what local businesses are doing. So you know, both of those statements were true and still are true to a large large extent. So how come it's so difficult? <laughs> so we tried to sell. We tried to set up a business which was a uh, this is about twelve years ago. So you know, a digital marketing business for for cities that helped connect local resident populations with business communities, and vice versa. So we set one up in Inverness, which is the kind of city in the Highlands of Scotland. Um, it's really good testing grounds because there's not too much going on around that area. It's not too busy a media kind of landscape to work in, and we learned how to you know, build platforms, technology platforms that connected local resident populations with businesses, enabled them to find out what was going on. And that kind of took us then down the route of, you know, finding out more about that market, cities, town management, and we set, set up, you know, similar communication platforms in about 30 different cities in the, in the UK. The social media trends and, and, and advancements in technology meant that that wasn't the model the model we had didn't work, so we went to probably 20 to 25 staff, down to three staff in six months. You know, so that was a really painful period in the career, letting all these people go, save the business. At the same time, we had started working on a different product, which was starting to get traction and delivering value, and that's what we're, we're concentrating on now. How does the product connect local businesses with local people? Yeah, great question. So that we, what we worked out was that we could develop a local currency product that did that, actually delivers value. So when you're kind of working in my world, you have to deliver value for the city. So the place manager, the city center manager, you have to deliver value for the, the resident 
and for Virgin. And to do that is really difficult. You know, it's a really difficult problem to solve. But payments is a universal thing that runs through any city, you know, spending money. So we create local currencies using the Visa and MasterCard networks. So it comes in the form of a gift card program. So I'm in Perth in Scotland at the moment. So the first program was a Perth gift card. So it's very similar to a shopping centre, shopping mall gift card, but for the whole city. So it's one card that you can spend in shops, restaurants, you know, leisure, business, entertainment. So it provides a really great opportunity to gift local. So you can give your friends and family a local gift card. And employers can also reward their staff with a, a city gift card for their employees. You know, in terms of rewarding staff with something that they want, got a lot of research that says that employees would prefer to get a gift card because they can have that for themselves rather than additional little bits of money that gets subsumed into their household budgets or nights out. You know, so gift cards really tick a lot of boxes. And if it also helps to support the local economy, then it's a, you know, it's a perfect employee reward or incentive. And that's where the growth of the business has come for, is actually providing a product that has got mass appeal to consumers and to employers. And all of the money can only be spent in local businesses. How's that been received by, say, the local councils or city governments? Is that, is that something that they're, they're, they've been looking for? Is that a problem that's that they want solved? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly our, our client base. So business improvement districts, local authorities, anyone that's trying to drive local spend, you know, to help communities, we can help them to set up these programs and implement them and drive and lock in that money for the business population. So I would say that every local economy is trying to do the same thing. They just don't all know that this is the right product yet. <laughs> He's got to solve the problem in the right way. Yeah. We've got now kind of 170 cities that we work with or, or regions across the UK, Ireland and North America. You know, success breeds success, I guess. You know, once you've got one city that's working really well, then everyone else wants to kind of know how to replicate that success. And that's the journey that we've been on with Alistair and Ashton McGill is um, how do we go from one or two programs to to scaling it up internationally and also, you know, building a team, having the right investment profile, etc. So that's where, you know, that connection and working with Ashton McGill has certainly been very beneficial and, you know, essential in that that story. All right. Well, let's get into that. So, Alistair, did, did you have any experience, you know, local currency and gift cards before meeting Colin? No, I mean, I, I was aware of Colin and Colin's business because Perth's the nearest town to where I live. And so I was conscious of, but I'd never, full transparency, I'd never used a, a Perth gift card before then. The fascinating thing is that when we started to work together, there was, as Colin said, there were three people in the business. And now you're, we had the team day last week, you're back up to the guts of 25 again. And there's no sign of that slowing down. And really one of the drivers beyond just what, you know, Colin's doing in terms of selling the programs has been the pandemic. And I, I think a real desire within local communities, not not to just support, you know, Jeff Bezos and Amazon, but actually to try and keep their money in the local economies. <laughs> <Can> we not? <laughs> yeah, and keep the money in the local economies because I, I don't know it's like where you are in the US, Stuart, or where folks are listening to this. But if you're not, if you're in a provincial town or city in in Scotland, then you know it, it's not great. And and so 
approach the, the work that Colin and his team do give those cities the opportunity to to thrive again. From our point of view, it's about it's been about supporting that journey. And you know, what Colin hasn't yet, I guess, said is that there's a, a huge amount of tech that sits behind this. And so, this is a business that that's cash hungry because you're investing in technology to keep up and not just keep up but keep ahead and innovate. And so, a lot of the work that Colin and I do is around forecasting and modeling. And we're not just modeling for one territory; we're modeling for the UK, the US, Ireland, Canada, and then doing a bit of what-if analysis and all of those. And, and this is not a simple business model either. It's Of all of the businesses we work with, Colin knows this, this is the most complex business model of all. Where we are is probably not atypical to to some of the, the more provincial Scottish towns that you talk about and that, that you know so well. Like, you know, we're, we're in a tourist town. There's seven ski resorts from, uh, you know, within an hour's drive. There's about 7,000 people that live here permanently and about 60,000 the week of July 4. We've got all the problems of towns like us throughout the world post-COVID, you know, like we, we got inundated. We were just pre-COVID, good luck, not good management. But, um, you know, what it's like, people moved out of the Londons, the San Francisco's, the Melbournes, the Sydney's of the world into towns like this during COVID. Some, some have moved back. And uh, the difficulty is they're supporting the, the local economies outside of sort of peak season, but also, you know, housing prices has driven out or, you know, made difficult for those that, that work more permanently in the area. You know, the restaurants and the and the local businesses, it's hard. It's really hard sort of, you know, you, you want to be able to pay the wages that support the local economies but in the local communities, but there's only so much you can do. So I met, so my guess, Colin, having listened to the story for 26 minutes is, is that, you know, the, your type of product plays into towns like us and, and many towns across the world. And that story resonates. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's um, what we've learned as we've expanded is that obviously there's lots of local differences, but there's more similarities than differences um, across the churches where we're working because of the big macro trends that you're talking about. And it's easy to launch campaigns and shout about loving local and it's easy for people to click on a Facebook post and like or comment that they support local, but where they spend their money is the ultimate kind of indication of whether they do or not. Our product gives is people uh, an alternative, an easy way to make a change. So instead of buying someone an Amazon gift card or even a, a gift from Amazon, buy them the local gift card and then the recipient can go out and buy things. And the reason I can state that all of our gift cards are better than Amazon is because you can do things with these as well. You can go for a meal or you can go to the cinema or you can have the experience that your local place offers. So every city in the areas we work in have the opportunity to create a gift card that's better than Amazon, you know, because they can join up the experience and retail together. And that makes a lot of sense to consumers and to employers once you create the, the opportunity for them to make that change. And there's very little other, we've we worked now in place management in this kind of sector for 12 years. There's very little else that works. What's the rollout process? Do you, do you sort of need, you know, somebody to go business to business to be able to accept the cards or, you know, working with the local improvement authority or the, the local council, you, you get that distribution and it's, and it's not too bad? 
that's exactly it. Yeah, that's what we learned was if we want to expand uh, quickly and, and enable this um, program to be implemented, then we need to work with partners that are aligned with that objective. We provide the platform, all the support, client success programs, campaigns, everything they need to launch and run a successful program. It's kind of left, there's two things left for the city. They need to onboard the merchants. So they, every merchant needs to register to accept the card or the visa card. That's a one-time swipe. And then they need to help promote the program locally. You know, it's their program. We help them create their products. So, you know, get the message out there to the local um, target audiences. And the rest kind of happens automatically. You know, once you receive a card, the first thing you have to do is you look to see where you can spend it. That's because you're... You're now, you've now got your eyes on the local proposition. You might see a business you've not been to before. You've got someone else's money to spend. That's great. Yeah. That's kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> and you go out there and you walk through the business, the doors for the first time, money to spend. And on average, people spend 65% more than the value they've been given because you kind of don't, you don't count the first part. You only count your own money. It's a great way, you know, we always say that what businesses want is people to walk through the door with money to spend. <laughs> and that's what this enables um, cities to help facilitate. As you've increased the distribution, as you've sort of expanded internationally, tell us a little bit about the, the business model and then the, and the tech, and then, then let's get on to uh, how good your accountant is, of course, while he's in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. No, thanks. Um, so it's a very simple product, uh, you know, and it is, and, as usual, you, you want everyone to think that or you're not doing your job, are you? you know, so it has to appear a very simple product. But behind the scenes, we need to concentrate on sort of four main areas when we're working with clients. So we concentrate on proposition. Ultimately, it's a consumer product. So where can I spend it? How do we, you know, our Glasgow program in Scotland then goes from where can I spend it to, oh my God, there's 1,200 places to spend it. So then another problem which is how do I communicate all of the different things that this card can be used for? So then you present different consumer propositions to different target audiences. So you need to invest in user interfaces that help consumers to see that it's the right product for them at that time for the use case they've got in mind. So there's a bit of proposition there we're always working on to improve that. So our website will allow you to kind of filter for different business types and with different landing pages for different occasions and different use cases. And then sales sales channels. So availability is the, the second thing that we work with. So how do I get this product? That's great. I'm a, I'm a business. I want to buy 500 from staff. How do I do that? How do I get that product securely to me? How do we look after money laundering, regulations, etc.? Transaction, essentially we're selling selling money. So, you know, we have to be, you know, watertight on all of our technology and processes from that perspective. You know, you might want to buy the product locally in a, a local shop. So how do we enable that? You might want to buy it from a kiosk in a shopping center. So we have a whole infrastructure of sales channels that we've built over time to help make this product available. The third bit is more, you know, awareness and promotion. So what can we do to to help make stakeholders in the place aware of the product and how do we help the clients to promote it at the right times of year where the biggest opportunities are. So, yeah, so within that, you've got a whole array of different systems that we need to 
to build and make available. Um, and I guess from a business perspective, we've been trying to also recruit the people <laughs> that we need to do that. You know, that's the every other business is the most important thing is the, the people that are within it. And that's probably the most success we've had it was last year when we were recruiting a fantastic team. I think Alistair will testify to that when, you know, when we had our staff day on the 25th Jan there. What a brilliant bunch of people, you know, and they're all motivated, they're all smart, they're just like super aligned with the business objectives, they want to help succeed for the clients, they want to deliver local spend, you know, so everyone's aligned there and we've got a great, you know, senior management team in place now, we've got great partners, we've got a good board, I think, you know, we're, we've got the opportunity and the, the ingredients in there and the next couple of years is about, you know, scaling and helping deliver that local spend. And then your your journey with Alistair and and the, and the firm. What um, after you met, sort of, how did you go about educating them around the business model, and and what have they done to help so far? Yeah, I mean the great the great thing is from a business owner's perspective, to you know ambitious one that we're trying to you know build something significant is that most of our conversations I have with Alistair don't have a lot to do with technical accountancy. You know, they have their Alistair's and and everyone that in the company, Ashton McGill, are really good at listening to what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve. They then input across the business, really, wherever they can to help us achieve that. Obviously, accountancy is the, the backbone of that, making sure that everything gets done at the right time, etc. And we're fully compliant and we're ahead of the curve, as Alistair was talking about. And I think Alistair, when you're, you know, when you're talking about us and educating Ashton McGill and what we do, they were always, you know, we always learn from Ashton McGill about how they do things. So they use technology very well, integrated technology, really efficient processes. We try to do the same, you know, so we can always learn from what how Ashton McGill go about doing that for clients. And we've got a lot of clients and we should be doing things in the same sort of way. So I think there's a cultural fit there about trying to you know be increasingly efficient and smart um, in our use of technology and over time I think you know is the best way to learn our business <laughs> I don't think it's you know I don't I think that's the way Alistair works as well I'm speaking for him is that you know just work on delivering value you know get the basics done right learn what the business is trying to do and then see how they can input along the journey took me a while a little while to grasp the depth of the business model because it's not straightforward but i think now you know three and a bit years into our journey of working together then i've got a pretty good understanding of how my connects works it's different revenue streams and and you know they're not just they're not consistent to each country either Stuart. so that's part of the challenge so the uk model is different to the us model is different to the canadian model and I guess at some point I need to fully document every single thing about that in case I fall under a bus, because <laughs> a lot of that is still in my head or on spreadsheets. But yeah, for, for me, it's it's been, you know, it's been a real pleasure, first of all, to see Colin's business grow and flourish because they're just good people within the business. And also what MyConnects does helps local communities. And so it's great to see that and the impact that these guys have on the places that that where they work. And I think as Colin and I have, have got to know one another and work together, it, it's become more of a strategic 
relationship now. I mean, we still get, we still, my team and, and our team at Ashton McGill take care of the day-to-day staff, the payroll, the VAT and management. We're, we're, David and I are working on management accounts this afternoon. There's a board meeting next week and we're just trying to get the pack together, finish that off. But a lot of the conversations, as Colin said, that we have now is very much strategic. How are we going to do this? Maybe it's investment. Maybe we're looking at different ways to to fund a particular piece of work. But the fact we've been on that journey together over three or four years, we've got to know each other. And, you know, I think that's like someone we try to build in with every client that we work with. Stuart, if someone's looking for a transactional relationship, we're not your guys. If they're looking for someone, you know, to use one of Les's terms, if they're looking for someone to ride shotgun with them on the journey, yeah, that's us. <laughs> you know, we're up for that. It's fun as well, you know, if you work that way. So across your client base, I imagine this business model is probably relatively unique. But what, what about the international aspect? Have you got the UK businesses, are they exporting a lot in, in your client base or this is sort of one of not many? <laughs> this is probably one of about... I would say maybe about 10 to 15% of our clients that trade internationally. And I'm part of that. You know, we had more than that before 2019 when the, the dreaded Brexit happened. And that really, you know, it really messed things up for people. We've got one client where we had to set up a company in Spain for them to be able to trade in the EU. And that's been an absolute headache. Everything's in Spanish. Fully enough, no. <laughs> but one of our team here is from. Yes, uh, I suppose it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just getting registered for VAT or, or sales tax, as some folks will know it in Spain, is is not straightforward. You got to wait for one of the government people to come and visit your premises. They won't tell you when they're going to come because they they don't want you to just go and you know rent a room somewhere one day on the day that they're going to visit. So it, that took about three months for for our clients to get registered for VAT, and they couldn't start selling until that had happened and. And so all of these things have become barriers to trading internationally. And one of our other large clients is a brewery business um, here in the city of Dundee. And they've managed to navigate that. So they export a lot of beer to Scandinavia, shipped some stuff to Australia recently, actually. Not the US oh, yet. But... Australians buying beer, I can't imagine. <laughs> Australians <laughs> buying Scottish beer, though, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, there you go. Oh, they'll, they'll buy beer from anywhere. Yeah, so for us, you know, it's a, it's an important part of our business and been able to support our clients. I have another client, funnily enough, ironically, in the same city as Colin, where we're working with an, an Australian. I don't know if you've had uh, Andrew Vanderbeek from Illuminate or if you know Andrew Stewart. Yeah, so Andrew's helping us with that client setting them up in Australia. And then Seamus, who's a mutual uh, connection again of Colin and I, is helping us set up an Irish company because this same business needs to trade in the EU. So it's not our core business, helping people trade internationally. But when someone says, can you help with that? The answer is generally yes. And, you know, also being part of that zero network is helpful to us. And, And with my connects with Colin's business, we've been able to introduce accounting partners in, in, uh, US and Canada, we've we've got a great relationship with the guys in Canada. They're really, really well aligned. We I think we do things in quite a similar fashion. And so, you know, when those things happen, we can tap into the networks. Even if we don't know somebody, then you know, there's generally someone that will be able to to help. And and how have you found the, the Colin, the sort of the internet? I, I assume that sort of once you gained a bit of traction and, and got a few improvement district councils up and going, that sort of North America, Canada was a US as, as a natural state. Was that a difficult transition for you? <laughs> yes, I would say as a short answer. So again, we talked about lockdown pandemic, obviously, you know, it's like either makes or breaks you probably. 
you know, we were very lucky that what it meant was that instead of me flying to a short flight to Bristol or somewhere in the UK to have a meeting and then flying home again, it can have 10, 12 meetings in a day talking to different cities, you know, around the world. And we got the opportunity with the payments partner we work with to to explore the North American market. They were really happy with the success and that we were having in Europe. So they kind of said, like, do you want to do the same thing over here? It was that time, just when lockdown was happening. And it's funny that our client base, you would have thought, well, we like everyone else, you don't know what's going to happen at that time. You remember, you know, either that's going to be the death of our business or it's going to do okay. But actually, we started lots of inbound inquiries because city center management's local economies, they couldn't really do anything else, but they could get ready for reopening. So, you know, a lot of planning was done then, pipeline building. We could, at the same time, work really quickly with Ashton McGill's help again and various other advisors to set up subsidiary companies and bank accounts and everything you need to, to trade in the different country we wanted to, at the same time as, you know, securing our first clients and hopefully that happens in the right order not necessarily (laughs) in the right order but anyway that's what you have to do i think you just have to go for it sometimes seize the opportunity but it was very intense i remember doing that you know from from my house whilst we were in his house because you weren't allowed to be anywhere else just remember that being an intense sort of four months five months as we set up those trading businesses and and get the first clients up and running but um yeah i think that then opened up the opportunity uh, for the company, so it was worth all the hard work. Yeah, definitely just learning different banking systems and uh, legislation, etc., for our product was pretty intense. Canada's probably pretty straightforward, with or more straightforward with the Commonwealth connections, but the US, I imagine, was a pain in the so ass. <laughs> we got two clients I'll talk about, actually. Our first two clients were really interesting. So we had one in Alaska, say called Cordova, and they had a million bucks from Mr. Trump to give out to local residents, and, but they managed to keep that money in the local community. So we set up a local currency so they could load the cards and the money could only be spent in Cordova. So they were really forward thinking and that was our first US client and our first Canadian client was Prince Edward Island, so the province. And they saw that they needed to get ready for it's such a you know tourism heavy you know economy that they wanted to make sure that as soon as they opened up they had something that could attract people to the island. So they set up the Canada's Food Island gift card program. <laughs> I love it. It makes me want to go there definitely because when I look at <laughs> there's a lot of great uh, restaurants on that island. I tell you, and what they did they worked with the accommodation providers so that they could buy. The Canada's Food Island gift cards at a discount and put them into welcome bags. So as soon as they opened up, if you came to Canada's, um, sorry, Prince Edward Island, you got a gift card on arrival that you could spend in the local economy. And they looked at something like $6.8 million worth of gift cards in the first two months when they opened up. They were completely full. So they've continued to use that program to drive accommodation, tourism, and shoulder seasons, quieter seasons of the, the calendar year. And they're talking about partnerships with airlines, etc. So when you buy a flight to Prince Edward Island, you get a gift card on arrival. So, so it's amazing all these different use cases that we never thought about for our products. 
you know, opened up once you've got the programs in existence. And we've got, you know, another program in Scotland that we worked with the Scottish government to put 32 different regional programs into the, the whole of the country so that every business in Scotland can benefit from being part of their own program. And then again, on the back of that and some sort of test cases, the local authorities here have started to use that to get money to people that are in need of additional support. It helps them obviously immediately to get money that they can spend in a huge or a variety of local businesses. It helps the businesses and it's all done with dignity because the people that receive the cards, no one knows how they got them. They could have been gifted. So it's kind of disbursement with dignity as kind of a, a core part. And that gives, you know, that gives everyone a lot of, you know, satisfaction being involved in programmes like that. You must be very proud of Colin's journey, Alistair. <laughs> oh, it's great. You know, I just, I, it's so inspiring. And to meet the team, because I'd, I'd met some of the management team and the board before, and a few of the folks from within the company. But when we met back on the 25th of January on Burns, Burns Night, Burns Day, and the Canadian team had come over to Scotland as well. It's just uh, so good to meet the folks that are actually at the coalface and, do, and doing this day to day. So, yeah, I mean, one of the most inspiring businesses we get to work with, Stuart. Out of all the reasons that you do what you do, Alistair, is what gives you the, the energy to build great, a great firm? Yeah, I mean, I guess at this stage now, I'm 53, 54 in a couple of weeks' time. So one of the things I wanted to do when we set Ashton McGill up was do good work for good people. And that's a, so in our discovery process, when we bring on new clients, we're not interested in just doing business with anyone. We want to make a we want to make a difference. We want to work with people like Colin that are changing the world, and and that's maybe a really grandiose statement, but but it just makes it fun. And and actually, see from a recruitment point of view, Stuart, you know what it's like recruiting in the accounting industry is tough. And you'll hear that from everyone you speak to in our industry. But but the story that we've got to tell about the work that we do and who we do it with and who we do it for that helps us attract talent, and you know it sets us apart from the competition. And I think that's, you know, it's really important for us that we've got case studies, if you want, for one of a better word, of, of businesses like MyConnects, of businesses like 71 Brewing here in Dundee, where you're going to get to work with a really innovative business that's doing things differently, that's making a difference. And, you know, for a lot of young folks coming into the industry, they're looking for that. They're looking for something that's going to be more meaningful you know it's a very different world to the world i work my 1986 version of arthur young <laughs> you know, the world's changed a hell of a lot since then and colin what um as as we wind up here what uh what's next for my connects and your journey with, with alistair for my case you know it's two things simply you know for each of our existing clients we've invested an awful lot in in client success systems to help them grow their programs all of our clients have the potential i think they're probably we've probably got we're 10 percent of the way there of what could be achieved with the program they've already got so they've already got huge potential so we want to help our clients maximize that and we want more of more clients you know so it's, it's pretty simple and i think it's all based around success for us you know, it's very clear that the more success we can drive for, for our existing clients, the more people will want to emulate that success. So that enables us to have a very simple strategy for the company and know where to, know where to focus. 
I think, as I said before, the exciting bit is we've got a lot of great clients and a lot of great people in the company to help achieve that. So that's probably the difference. You know, a year on from where we were before, we had a lot of great clients, but didn't have enough people. We didn't quite know where to invest. I think we, we've got that now. So that's really exciting for me is that, you know, it's all ahead of us to help achieve. And, you know, in terms of working with Ashton McGill, I think that relation get, his relationship gets stronger and stronger and closer and closer the more we work. And see that continuing, to be honest. And um, Malster's a really key part of the team. And I think there's more that we can do together, you know, in terms of sharing how the companies work and learning together as both companies grow, I think. And, you know, that's the exciting bit. Well, Alistair, Colin, it's been fantastic to hear about your journey. Congratulations on all the success that you've had so far. If uh, if I can introduce you to the local general manager of, of Incline Village General Improvement District, I'd be more than welcome, more, more than happy to. Indra is his name, and uh, I'm sure, you know, towns like us can benefit enormously from your business. And as I said, look, you know, just thrilled to see firms and clients working closely together and and uh if there's anything that carbon can do alistair just never never hesitate to reach out we're always here for you guys <laughs> yeah i know it's great Stuart. thanks for all your support as well yeah appreciate it cheers boys Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.